A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the 7th verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We are always, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for today is Psalm 119. We will read responsively by whole verse. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By ruling himself according to your word. Your words have I hidden within my heart that I may not sin against you. With my lips have I been telling of all the judgment of my mouth. I will meditate on your commandments and have respect for all your ways. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, 
and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. How's that? Yes? I thought this would be easier. Believe it or not, I chose this because I thought it was going to be easier, but there we are. Is that good? Yes? Okay. So, I have this team of people, um, intercessors, and they pray very hard for the diocese and for me. They're just outside of the diocese, although they love New England very much. Um, and in praying for you, they have seen that they have this, they've given me this image. It's a beautiful image of gold being poured out over you in your worship. Just this wonderful kind of gold, dust, gold, just gold poured over you. And, um, and I've been praying on that. And um, actually what I had to preach this morning is completely different to what I had to preach to you 24 hours ago. Um, but, and actually recently, um, a, a blessed, prayerful soul, keen intercessor in this church family, 
found, knew, knew of this story that I'd shared and found these little tiny pieces of gold in, in the, in the I think they're probably old earrings, I think, I mean, but they were kind of sprinkled in amongst the, the pews. And I have them sitting on my desk because it reminds me to pray for this outpouring of, of his love, this, this, this gold, which, which I'm going to open up for you in this preach, but this will now explain how I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, would you pour out your greatest treasure, the gold of your mercy and your love and your healing presence, and fill us in, Lord Jesus. Restore us and make us over in your image. Father, we surrender our hearts to you this morning. Come fill us with the, in, in all our clayness. Father, would you fill us? Would you fill us with, your, with the greatest treasure of your love and your mercy and your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do have a seat. You know, I'm, I'm not quite yet a year in, but this diocese still remains full of amazing, wonderful surprises. And yesterday, I drove 130 miles south to visit um, one of our churches that meets actually on a Saturday, on a Saturday morning. The congregation is over 200 people. That actually makes it one of our largest churches. They actually have a midweek ministry and when you look at the numbers of the people that they're ministering to, bringing communion to, preaching the word, etc., I mean, this could potentially be a church of about a thousand people. So yesterday morning, this wonderful congregation worshipped with all their hearts. They shared bread and wine together. They prayed the liturgy with real, real conviction. They read the word together, and the word was preached and it was, it was heard, it was received. They took up an offering. They prayed for their city. There was a moment where they stopped and they prayed for each other. They kind of came together in kind of groups of three. And after church, they had a really good lunch together. They, uh, there was some really good soup and some great bread. Um, they've actually sourced the best coffee in their area. And someone has made that freely available to them. So the coffee was superb. I have become quite an expert on church coffee, <laughs> I can tell you. And yours is very good. Yours is up there. But, but this, this was especially good. Uh, you know, this was especially good coffee. Um, so not unlike what we do every Sunday, except that this church has no roof and no walls and no pews or chairs, and they actually met on the steps of County Hall in Hartford, and they meet every Saturday in the rain and in the snow and in the heat of the summer when the summer finally comes, and most of their members are homeless. 75% of their members are homeless. And if you think that they show up just for the free food, there is a neighboring church-led ministry for the homeless just a little way further into Hartford by the park. And it, it doesn't worship with the same heart as our church does. Let me just put it that way. And they hand out free sandwiches to the home homeless people. They actually do it from behind a wall. They kind of drop the sandwiches down to them. I passed that church. I counted about eight people. Our people come to their church on the steps of County Hall because of Jesus Christ. I mean, the communion was just so moving. When you see hands that are bruised and scarred and 
almost contorted in the cold. It was, what was the temperature yesterday? It was minus, you told me, Eleanor. It was like cold. It was like minus, I mean, I'm still thinking in English, so it was like seriously minus something. Started off as minus 13 centigrade. Yeah. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but that's just cold. It was like really cold. Um, and the prayer time was so powerful because they huddled in groups. There was a laying on of hands. They prayed for me as their bishop. They made me come and stand in the middle. They all got around me and they prayed for me. And the, the guy who prayed for me had come to faith in the last month. And he was alive. I mean, this prayer was spectacular. He'd actually been in prison three months before that. But had come to faith in Jesus in the prison and had come and found his church on the streets of Hartford. And the presence of the Holy Spirit was profound. There was, I mean, they're right on Main Street, if you know Hartford. And it's really, it's super busy. But there was a moment just before communion where Brian Bywater, who is one of our priests who, who leads this church, said, let's just be still. Let's just be still and just wait on God in, in the silence. And there was this profound silence. It's like the whole city just paused for 30 seconds. It was remarkable. There was some spontaneous worship that broke out at the end. Just as we kind of, he gave the blessing, someone started singing. Eric actually started singing. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are here turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here mending every heart. I worship you. I worship you. One man gave testimony for the first time in seven years. He held up some keys to a very small apartment. I think it was a room that was now his. He had the keys around his neck on a chain and everybody gave thanks. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or visit you in prison? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. I mean, I wonder if Hartford were not quite such a drive, do you think you might actually want to go to one of the largest churches in our diocese? If it wasn't two and a half hour kind of round trip, it wasn't that far actually, it was 130 miles. But the point is maybe we don't need to drive 130 miles to be part of this kind of church. How we answer that question is actually really profoundly important because it's pretty tough. But in his teaching about sheep and goats, Jesus communicated that there will be eternal consequences to the choice that we make to that kind of question. We get it right, we follow the way of the sheep. Hooray! Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. Get it wrong, and we go the way of the goats, what C.S. Lewis calls the other thing. And this is Jesus saying that we're going to be held directly accountable for something that we might not even notice or recognize. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and didn't help you? I mean, you, you, you might question, where is the love of God in this whole 
sheep and goat thing there. We're being held to an account for something that we might not even see. Where's the grace of God in that? To which I think Jesus is saying, well, where is there grace? Where is there the love of God in any of us walking past the sick or the hurting or the poor or the prisoner or the destitute or the hungry without a second look? Where is the grace in us concluding that it's okay to ignore people who are suffering because we are stronger and better fed than they are? Where's the grace and love of God in that? And after all, Jesus' instructions in this teaching are really straightforward. Welcome the stranger. I think that's fairly clear. Feed the hungry. Give the thirsty something to drink. Clothe the naked. Tend to the sick. Visit the prisoner. So what do you do? What do we do? Well, we could, we could try to dial it all down a bit. The first response might be to say, well, Jesus, when he said this, he didn't really literally mean this. He's just stirring us up a bit. Let's, let's give it a fancy theological name to satisfy our intellectual pride and call it rabbinic hyperbole. That's what it is. It's a rabbinic hyperbole. It's a little bit of near eastern sensationalism to catch our attention and make us jolly well think for five seconds. That's what we'll call it. Except I know that you know that this is not rabbinic hyperbole. What Jesus is describing here is the shape of God's heart. Deuteronomy 15.7, there will always be poor people in the land and therefore I command you, says the Lord, to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and the needy in your land. And it's a heart that we find throughout the whole Bible. So what's the standard of care toward the poor that's going to make me fit for the afterlife? Well, Jesus is again, I'm afraid, offering us very little comfort here when he tells us that the standard is perfection. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. So, we could dial it up. We've attempted to dial it down. Didn't go so well for us, so we'll dial it up. We'll say, well, if this is what it's going to take, then I had really better get on with this. And so in our own strength, we begin to take on the world. The problem is that it is way beyond us and we end up with an unsustainable counterfeit version that ultimately leads to any number of reactions that are overwhelmed, disappointed, burned out, apathetic, or maybe worst of all, legalistic and self-righteous. We recognize that perfection is out of our reach and apathy is not an option, and yet we're still called to this standard of excellence. What do we do? Well, I think what is left to us and what Jesus is inviting us into is a process of transformation. And this begins with us acknowledging our own poverty. We, we can't do this in our own strength. We really can't. We don't, we don't have the moral strength for this. This is about recognizing our powerlessness, powerlessness to change ourselves all this world in our own strength. And from that place, this is about coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. We willingly submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be transformed in the image of Jesus, who is perfect. And we accept that this is a process. And in this place of willing submission, we are transformed into his likeness. 
This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is a process that is mapped out one heartbreaking step after the other. If we are to assume God's heart for a hurting world, then we need to allow our own hearts to be broken. And this actually means putting ourselves in a position where our hearts can be broken. This is about sacrifice of time and resources. This is about praying, Lord, would you show me where you are today so that I may join you? This operation that Brian has set up, it's, it's perfect. It's like clockwork. I mean, it was so clever. I met them at 10 o'clock in a, in a U-Haul storage facility where they have this kind of fairly modest, it's about the size of an average garden shed. Do you have garden sheds in America? You know what I'm talking about. What do you call them here? Small barn. Okay, like a small barn, a modest barn. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's filled with, with all the provisions and there's uh, new, clean, new clothing, not secondhand clothing, new clothing that they give out, gloves, um, mittens, uh, socks, underwear for men and, and for women. Uh, there's, there's the coffee and there, there's toiletries and all kinds of things. They load up with the tables. They've got these kind of gazebo kind of tent things that are open-sided. So we then drove in a U-Haul van, cost him $19.99, and it's not the usual U-Haul thing that they then charge you $700 because you drove 40 miles. This is only three miles down the road, so it stays cheap, just saying. But <laughs> my experience of U-Haul. But, but they, they drive you know, about three miles with the U-Haul van. They pack that van. He said, as long as it doesn't come over that black line, the lip of kind of rubber at the end, we're good. And they get everything in that van. It's amazing. It's so well organized. They got the coffee things, they got, ah. So it all goes in, we drove off, we get there, we unload. As we get there, there are about 30 volunteers, and I would say about 10 of those were homeless people who are just so bought into what God is doing in that place, they, they want to be part of it. So everything is brought out the lorry, the, the, the gazebos go up. The gazebos are actually there to cover the, the clothing and the coffee and the food, because in the middle, they all stand and worship. And they feel, Brian feels it's so important that whether it's raining, whether it's hailing, whether it's snowing, whether it's freezing rain, whether it's blistering heat, they stand in the outside with them. As they live, they will stand and worship with them. They, uh, there was a sound system. They put out the communion table with a fair white linen cloth. Cramner would be thrilled. And, and a beautiful cross was put there. There was a pattern. There was a, um, a, a, a chalice, small iron cross in the center, Tables went up under the gazebos, coffee, sandwiches on one side, clothing on the other side. I learned a lot about, or they have learned a lot about recovering the beauty of the nobility of the image of God in a person. And that actually meant out holding all kinds of choices for them. Not just dropping a sandwich over a wall, but what kind of sandwich would you like? Would you like milk or cream in your coffee? Would you like sugar? I mean, I was giving out, I'm literally, I'm giving out clothing, and they, 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 they worked out that the item that they most need is underwear. So I withstood with size small, medium, large, extra large, extra, extra large, and, and you get the choice. What would you like? Boxers, boxer briefs, briefs, but anything in between. It's like, and then, and then they say, what size? What's, you know, what size are you? And most of them don't know because they're so, 
they've so given up, or just that sense of who I am has become such a distant memory, they don't even know what size they are. So you have to say, well, I think you're about 32. Or I think you might be, like, it's very difficult to say, I think you might be XXXL. When we find a, <laughs> I think you want to go to that end of the table. But, <laughs> but they're seen. It's about seeing them for who they are. It's about looking them in the eye. It's about, it's about them. It's about me or any of the other volunteers speaking to them and them alone and saying, what, what do you prefer? What's your choice? But you know what? What I've just described, which I think is a model that, that, that we could do, I think it's a model that's been developed that could go right up and down New England. I really do. I sat there thinking, oh my gosh, this is a gem. He's literally done, worked out a blueprint for the rest of New England. Because you tell me a New England large town or city that doesn't need that kind of ministry in the heart of it. You find one for me. Find one for me. Well, I guess Greenwich, Connecticut. But that's all right. They can fund a whole bunch of others. Okay, so don't worry about that. But all of this began with one man... Brian, with a broken heart for the forgotten and the marginalized and just one table that he carried by hand. It began with one man with one broken heart and one table. And the rest has been a story of spirit-led transformation over five, six, seven years. And also, one man with a broken heart and one table with faith that if he prayed... And if we came together in the power of God, we could really make a difference. The problem is when we read the Bible and it says you, we have a tendency to read that as me. And we kind of go, ugh. We should actually read it as we. We. Us. Because in God's power and leading, we are supposed to work in this together. We is community. And because of Jesus, because of the cross, we are together as a family on a trajectory that says the heart of God that is perfect will prevail. So equity and compassion and beauty and hope and justice and healing will prevail. Despite what we see, despite what we don't see, because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, love has and will conquer all. Amen. So I've been carrying this image around with me. Oh, I'm so glad the guys put it up on the wall. It's on, I put it on the front of your bulletin as well. And it's this Japanese tradition. It's a long and ancient tradition of repairing broken ceramic pots with gold. It's called, you may know this, kintsukuroi. And, and the word means golden joinery in Japanese. And it refers to this art of fixing broken ceramics with, with a resin um, often using genuine golden powder. And the Japanese, in, in this beautiful, uh, painstaking kind of tradition of repair, have come to cherish the imperfection of a broken pot repaired in this way. They see it as a kind of rebirth in the life of the ceramic pot's story. It, it, it's kind of sense that this thing that has suffered damage, that has this history now becomes even more beautiful in its place of repair. And there is, in one sense, no, no, uh, no, no, no uh, d d hope of or, or desire to disguise the wounds, if you like, or to disguise the joins. They become part of the, the beauty. They show the gold. The gold is evident through the wounds. 
And I watched this yesterday happen before my eyes. I watched the Lord pour um, the gold, the, the, the most precious treasure of his mercy and his love and his presence into all these clay broken vessels, including me. And it was extraordinary. It was life. It was life. I drove down so tired. I came back so, so filled with life. I got out of the car and I put these words together. Because the Spirit, Spirit touched me. I came back with gold. I came back with gold. And this promise, is, it, it's for all of us, whether we've got a warm home or whether we don't have a home. Because, because we know, I don't need to convince you that none of us are born with a guarantee that we won't be broken or chipped or cracked. But there is a promise that the treasure that is his love and his mercy, his healing, his presence will fill in and heal and transform the broken places. That in all our fragility as jars of clay, even when broken by life, we are gloriously filled in and held together by the love and the grace of God. Will we allow God to lead us to the broken places within our own hearts and within the world that he set us in? Will we let him pour that gold in? Will we be vulnerable enough as individuals to recognize our own brokenness and let him pour that precious treasure in? And then will we let that treasure pour through us to others? Because it is through our wounds that I truly believe that they see the glory of God most profoundly. I had a last conversation with this wonderful lady. She was a real intercessor of intercessors. She was phenomenal. And she said she felt the Holy Spirit had nudged her to be part of this ministry. And for a couple of months, she kind of said, yes, maybe next week, next week. There was always something she needed to do at home. And then she felt this extraordinary conviction. Because, um, and she said to the Lord, you know, um, you know, why... Why would you have me come? What can I possibly do? How can I serve? And he said to her, pray. Pray for these people. And she said what she realizes is that her prayer poured out upon that the Lord's prayer. Let me get this right. The Lord's prayer poured out upon her heart and lips is the prayer that keeps these people alive until she has the opportunity to pray for them again the next week. And so we go on in this process of godly transformation, this process of each broken piece being reassembled in the love and the mercy and the grace and the healing and goodness of God. And it will be life to us. Now, I know something's up here. Because even before I preached this this morning, I had three conversations with people who are being stirred in just this way. I also know how the Lord has led other people who have had the privilege of preaching here Sunday by Sunday. Had I preached what I was going to preach, my message would not have echoed what they have preached for the last three or four weeks. I think the Lord is priming the pump here. I think he's exciting your hearts for the things of his kingdom. And it will be life to us. He is undoubtedly pouring out the gold of his love and mercy and healing, that in our brokenness we might be healed and that in our healing we might go out 
and in the vulnerability of our own wounds, share his love and mercy with others. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us now. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, you would continue to stir up this wonderful church family. Father, would you stir them up for a new horizon, uh, a fresh beginning, a new chapter? Would you pour your love and your mercy? Would you make them alive again? Would you rekindle the, the, the knowledge and expectation of your presence within their hearts? Fill in, Father, uh, the broken places in all of us, me included. And Father, in, our, in that healing, in holding your treasure in, in jars of clay, Father, would you stir us up to go out into the world together to see your kingdom come in the lives and the communities of those around us. Father, that we would that we would join you, Lord Jesus, where you are ministering with willing hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going to stand now, and as those who are bearing treasure in jars of clay, we are going to pray together the words of the creed. We pray together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man.